Welcome, everyone, to Strictly Anime, a podcast for anime reviews and discussions. My name is Courtney. And I am Carl. This is episode 173, and we're reviewing ZOM 100 Bucket List of the Dead. As always, there'll be spoilers throughout this episode. It's weird to say, but we've finally finished ZOM 100. It's had a weird release schedule, and I feel like it's been going on for an eternity, but it I don't think it really has been going on that long. Um, This anime started... July of 2023 so it was a summer anime and it had wrapped up on Christmas so quite a long run but you know there, there's a reason for that <laughs> it that wasn't as long as um Uncle from Another World was it I think that one was like two or three seasons stretched out yeah I don't have the exact time frame for how long Isekai Oji-san was airing um I think you're right it was Oh, here, I have it. Uh, July 2022 to March 2023. So that's oh my God. a couple extra months um, than ZOM 100. Um, but I will say, even though both had such lengthy air times, I-, I found myself enjoying ZOM 100 a lot more. And the reason for the production delays, um, did they share what they were? I feel like it was very vague for a long time. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's so commonplace now that you know pr- production delays are just due to high strain, high pressure from the studio, uh, and you know trying to meet those expectations, but those not happening happening realistically. Uh, I thought that overall, um, the quality of the anime did not decline with them taking extra time which is what you'd expect right they need extra time to produce it in the way that mm-hmm. they would hope to do so um and i'm always for the the studios taking more time in order to have not only a better end product but a better work environment for their staff um so i don't know what what was going on behind the scenes here but um at the very least it, it looked great all the way through yeah and it's kind of ironic because ZOM 100's main character, Akira, comes from a company that has like a a demanding work culture and that's what kind of or nearly pushes him to his limit. And so it's almost like (laughs) maybe, again, I'm I'm just speculating on what was causing the production delays, but, you know, it, it feels like it's a mirror image of what was going on in the show. Uh, but yeah, that was, that was a three-month hiatus between episodes, what was it, 9 and 10? Because yeah, it was September 24th to December 25th, and then we got the three episodes as a finale. We, we could have watched the Netflix live action during that wait. <laughs> nah, I'm good. <laughs> I think your sister had watched it. Yeah, but she's never watched the anime or read the manga she so, wasn't thrilled about it either. Yeah. So, <laughs> but it just made me curious. Um, I don't know. Maybe I'll, I'll pick it up. We ended up pausing our watch at episode six. So we mm. watched five. We did not watch six because that was around the time that they announced the brief hiatus. And we figured, let's just let's just stop here. And then when the rest of the show um, is released, we can watch it all in one batch. No, we watched episode up to episode six. Okay, so then seven was the next one that we needed to watch. Okay, yeah, we we just figured that would be the better, the best way to do it, so that you know we can experience it 
as much as possible in like a chunk um, instead of just watching the last, what, two, three episodes. Yeah. And I think that was a good ending point because uh, it almost felt like we were making up our own like anime core for, for the show. And yeah, I, I would say from start to finish, it's it was a pretty great show. And I know we've we've mentioned how like Giguk will talk about certain manga and anticipate their anime adaptations. He's done that with Call of the Night. Was that that show? Yeah. Um, which I think you ended up finishing. I I have still to to I finish it. I have not it. finished it yet. Oh, you didn't. Okay. <laughs> it's on the hold list. Yeah, it's I on will my it. yeah, it's on my hold list. But you know, any recommendation that Giguk has. Um, usually will follow and he had one a video for Zom 100 and that definitely piqued our interest although I think many people are probably sick and tired of the zombie apocalypse genre I'll admit we have a little bit of burnout with that especially from watching The Walking Dead and then how everyone fell off after a, a key plot point during a later season but with Zom 100, I really enjoyed it. It has almost like a fresh take on the genre, but I would say it it's giving Zombieland vibes. Uh, Zombieland being one of my all-time favorite comedy slash zombie movies. And I would say it's a great, unique way to look at a zombie apocalypse as, as a means of, of freedom. Yeah, it's the most positive zombie media I've ever seen because everything yeah like people are dying and whatnot and there's there's intense moments and all of that but overall it's a very um like happy story about Akira and his his group trying to make the best of their situation and do what they've always wanted to do um the the colors make it very like inviting and exciting to watch the music is great so yeah, it's just a weird blend of things. But hey, if Zom 100 gets that zombie hype back on the anime side of things, I'm I'm all for it. And I always kind of joke like, oh, maybe we'll get High School of the Dead season two. Obviously, that probably won't happen because mm-hmm. of you know what happened with the the creator. He passed away. Um, but I always hold out hope that if there's anything left of the manga, that we can get a little bit more of High School of the Dead because I really enjoyed that. But since High School of the Dead, I can't really recall a a, a big zombie title like this that the anime community has been receptive to so it is kind of a not like it's not refreshing but it is kind of fun to revisit that genre in the anime sphere i mean especially since we're still going through season after season of isekai yeah (laughs) (laughs) i don't know when that's just going to be a a tired premise tired concept in anime so it's kind of weird to say that like, the, the zombie apocalypse feels refreshing um, on the other side of things. And we talked about it briefly, but the animation with this, this is the first anime that, w- at least that I know of, that was produced by Bug Films. Yeah. And, yeah, they went balls to the wall with how this show looks it looks like this is the only thing that they've produced so far and yeah they've done this and then what is this like a recap episode of sorts yeah recap um so yeah 
that's that's a really strong start. Although a brand new studio already running into production issues is, I don't know. It's there's red flags there, but um, all in all, I think the like I said, end product was fine. That's good. Um, there were some parts of Zom 100 that I really, really loved. Uh, I think the best part, at least for me personally, unlike High School of the Dead, this show is about working adults and not high schoolers. That's right. I'm like, thank God. It makes I it... realize that at the end of the series. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's weird. It just makes it feel slightly more, not, not only relatable, but also believable that working adults more mature individuals although you can argue that maybe akira is not the most mature person at times um but more experienced people are able to navigate this um this like global crisis um and and you know, be able to survive because yeah i'm not saying like high schoolers are like too stupid to know how to survive but when you're comparing an adult in the working world to a high schooler i think most people would assume the adult would know what to do in many of these situations yeah and again there's such an interesting contrast between like like these real zombies and these quote-unquote office zombies that akira and kencho previously were um and you know Again, going back to the theme of how these characters break free of these situations and find a new sense of independence and autonomy with it, I feel like, yeah, that's that's that feels more in line with something that like a millennial, like someone from our generation, would be attuned to, rather than like a high schooler who is trying to still figure out their way in the world and, you know doesn't have kind of like the the practical skills and, and know-how that an older uh, an older young adult I'll, I'll say would have but you know it's, it's anime any anything can happen but I, yeah I, I kind of appreciate the more realistic approach with these characters being kind of fresh out of college and within that age of again that millennial generation I know I keep revisiting the whole like production issue the, the the release schedule um but there is one other thing i want to say because i you know i've talked very positively about the show so far but if i'm being totally truthful i think i loved the first half better than the second half and i don't know if it's because the break kind of dampened my hype for the show i felt like the second half of the season was good but not as great as the first half there was just something about the humor in the first half about the story beats um about the the balance of like comedy to drama that i really really liked in the first like five or six episodes but then after that it just kind of i don't know like it, it just i don't know if it felt repetitive or not as impactful or what but it just didn't hit as hard i kind of agree well i, I think that the show was pretty consistent with its humor and with its messaging, I will say that it, it got a bit repetitive by the second half of again, kind of fulfilling why these characters are seeking so much independence and, and sense of freedom. I, I'll say like I never felt like the show was waning with the plot progression or the story or you know characters just 
being too too much or just overbearing or anything like that. I'll just say that it was mostly because of the production delays because there wasn't just that three month hiatus. I think there were a couple episodes where they didn't release weekly. Like there was like it was postponed to the next week or whatever. And then that um, recap special that happened, I think sometime after episode four or five, which was way too early for a recap. I think it just lost everyone's hype for the show. Like the momentum was dropping because these episodes weren't releasing on a weekly basis. But I still think the show from start to end was just pretty solid, but it had the unfortunate factor of time playing against it since, you know, there were other things coming up in the year, like obviously Jujutsu Kaisen that it was up against. Um, but yeah, I, I think Zom 100 would have been a standout during the summer season of 2023 had it not been that they had to kind of pick up the ball when it had dropped. You do bring up a good point, though. Um, another thing I want to compliment the show on is not lingering too long on parts of the story that don't really mean to, as much to the overall like main goal. Um, obviously, the goal is for Akira to fulfill a hundred things that he wants to do before he becomes a zombie. But there are times where I was wondering, okay, like how is he going to eat at a sushi restaurant, or what's going to happen when he goes to an onsen? I like that the show gives you a resolution to all of those um those like goals that he has or his bucket list items without having it overstay its welcome or feel dragged out like you got your i think the sushi part was like half an episode right and then the onsen part was like another mm -hmm. half of an episode i think that's the perfect amount of time and perfect pacing to again work towards fulfilling the ultimate goal without having to string the viewer along for every single one of them. They didn't dedicate a whole episode to a sushi restaurant venture. And on top of that, they also coupled it with Beatrix's introduction. So it felt more meaningful than just, hey, we're going to go eat sushi at like the last standing sushi restaurant. I mean, he has like a hundred goals that he has to meet. Right? Yeah, so it'd be like a uh, lot. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it would almost be like an adventure of the week formula, right? If they try to do it that way. But again, I'm glad that they cut things down or coupled, uh, you know, a few goals or bucket list items in an episode. That way, you still feel like they put some effort into it, but you know, you're not having to sit through something that's maybe not as exciting. Yeah, I guess Comey could learn a lesson from that <laughs> a you know, lot of anime <laughs> could learn a lesson from that and just to touch upon that a little bit more the situations that these characters find themselves in it, it, it takes place in a post-apocalyptic japan that's been overrun by zombies but there are certain things in this where it kind of flips like zombie apocalypse tropes on its head um you know like with the the country or the city's not being like completely ravaged. I don't know if this really makes any sense. And maybe as we talk about later episodes, um, those will jog my memory. But yeah, I, I guess it's coupled with how Akira and the other three main characters are seeing this world through a rose-colored lens that it makes the zombie apocalypse not seem as bad as it could be like, like resources not being as scarce. You know what I mean? 
Yeah, I think it's reasonable to say like in an apocalypse, because so many people get wiped out so quickly, there's still going to be plenty of resources to go around for the remaining people. Mm -hmm. The way that it like it's often portrayed in a zombie apocalypse, like the ratio of like survivors to non-survivors um i think there'd be plenty of supplies to go around now people will hoard that stuff they'll fight over it sure and it won't last forever but in the immediate days following an apocalypse like you could go to a grocery store and probably find more food than your group could ever consume before it expires right i think the walking dead conditioned us to believe that resources and supplies are going to be scarce yeah, but fuck. <laughs> wasn't that because Rick was in a coma for a long time? I thought he woke up like right around the outbreak. It was like sometime, not like 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 years into the outbreak, but it was like sometime in there. Well, mm. I, I don't know. Maybe you're right okay. because he would have starved to death <laughs> Yeah, if it was too long in. I don't know. Whatever. It's been so long since I watched that show. But you're, you, yeah, to your point, it did feel like everything was just gone. Like, do the zombies eat all the food and, eat, you know, take all the medicine? No. <laughs> yeah. All of that is readily available. And you know what? Like, I would love to, I don't know, like, this sounds morbid, but I would love to be in a conbini if there were ever to be, like, a zombie virus outbreak because I have all I need right there. Before we move on to the meat, no pun intended, of our discussion, obviously we have to talk about the OP and ED for ZOM 100. So we'll start off with the OP, which is called Song of the Dead by Kanaboon. And yes, Kanaboon is currently kinda doomed. <laughs> the group, if you aren't already aware, is currently on an indefinite hiatus due to two scandals within the band uh, involving the drummer and the guitarist it's kind of wild shit but you know you can look look that up if you're interested but thankfully before all of that came to light kanaboon which you know is a very at least up until this point was a, a very prominent very well respected band that performed anime songs they were able to put something really special together for Zom 100. So with Song of the, Song of the Dead, I love this opening because the song is just so happy-go-lucky. And just like the show itself, it's very different from what you would think a song about the zombie apocalypse would be. It's different from you know like The Walking Dead's opening where it's these tremorous violins playing like an ominous melody. This one, it's just a rock band coupled with a very colorful, very splashing opening where you know zombies are walking, running, and even dancing across the screen. And I love how, I think they use this in Miyoko-chan too, instead of using like blood splatter, they use kind of like paint splatter in place of like the zombies blood oozing out of their bodies yeah i don't know what work came first miyadoko-chan or zom 100 on the anime side of things miyadoko-chan aired first but um whoever came up with that idea between the two i guess first um yeah it was, it was a smart move mm -hmm. or if they were influenced by each other i don't know but yeah it was kind of interesting to see that although with miyadoko-chan that that idea of bright paint colors in place of like the traditional red for blood was only in the op right oh yeah that's true it's just the 
OP now that I think about so it. So it might have just been like an aesthetic choice for the OP versus like ZOM 100 where, yes, it's still an aesthetic choice, but it's also a strategic choice to help give ZOM 100 that more positive vibe. Yeah, and I, there are two versions of this OP. Uh, I believe it's episode nine where it starts the more dancing, like choreographed version, uh, kind of like you know Michael Jackson's Thriller. I'd love to learn the dance that all the zombies do at the end when he's saying dystopia to song of the dedo, which to briefly cover the lyrics, that's probably one of my favorite parts of this song. And yeah, I'm pretty sure, yeah, Zom 100, this opening was one of my favorite openings from 2023. If you listen back to our favorite OPs and EDs from that year, uh, when he says dystopia to song of the dead, it's similar in melodic structure to the song Barbara Ann, which was covered by the Beach Boys, where it's like, ba 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 Barbara Ann. Um, it's weird, but it just makes the OP all the more catchy and again, gives, this, gives it this uppity, happy-go-lucky nature. And overall, the song is just about living your life to the fullest, even as the world is coming to an end. If you listen to lyrics like the chorus where it says, I want a dancing, dancing, rolling, rolling, only one my life. Sooner or later, life will come to an end. Want more than a sense of futility, don't you? So it's very obvious right there. Or one of the clothing lines of the chorus, this is just directly reflecting Akira's mindset, is let's live until we've had our fill of fun. Then we have the ED which is Happiness of the Dead by Shi Yui. And this ending is focused more on our favorite, I'll say athletic accountant, Shizuka, along with the other survivors just enjoying life. Uh, still has that positive nature to it, although I find that the OP is more of a vibe than the ED. The ED is good. Um, I think what I appreciate the most about it is the way that they use it in certain episodes. They kind of have a slow burn during some of the more clim climactic moments, especially, I believe, in the final arc. Um, so I, I liked that a lot, that it wasn't always just that that harsh cut to the ED. There was some blending there. And the lyrics are kind of similar to Song of the Dead. Uh, just finding joy in the despair of this world or making lemons out of lemonade or I guess zombie lemons out of zombie lemonade um, just one line that stuck out to me in the lyrics is here in this hell this earth I want to keep laughing with you so you know always looking at the bright side of life all right strictly fam time to bring out your undead as we dive into our synopsis and discussion for Zom 100 Bucket List of the Dead, a.k.a. Zom 100, 100 Things I Want to Do Before I Become a Zombie. The 2023 anime adaptation of a manga series written by Haro Aso and illustrated by Kotaro Takata. Produced by Bug Films and directed by Kazuki Kawagoe, the series follows burnt-out office worker Akira Tendo, who finds a newfound sense of freedom in the most unlikeliest of sources, an all-out zombie pandemic that spreads across Japan. In episode 1, Akira of the Dead, Akira Akira is a down-and-out corporate sweatshop worker with a terrible work-life balance whose only motivation to work is to be cucked by his office crush and fucked by his office crusher. Things ironically head towards the up-and-up, however, when office zombies turn into real-life zombies, 
and Akira Akira finally gets to Breaking Free by High School Musical, resolving to put together a 100-goal bucket list after telling his zombified CEO, fuck you, and his zombified office crush, I'd fuck you. Right off the bat, this was a fucking awesome first episode. Everything was like so incredibly stylized and artistic. Um, the way that like the camera work was done or some of the motifs and things like that. I love um, especially the widescreen black bars sort of disappearing when he when Akira realizes that he's finally free from the work environment and the restrictions of society. Kind of like 86. 86 did that um, mm -hmm. during a pivotal moment. So that was really cool. Um, I love the colors that they use for the blood. We talked about that already. I love the transitions between scenes. I love when he was walking like a zombie home from work and then sm smacked his head against that metal newspaper box. That was so funny. I was like, okay, this show's going to have some really good humor, or at least my type of humor. Yeah, like kind of like nuanced, subtle humor. Yeah, like <laughs> st sometimes stupid humor, which is great, especially with Kencho. Um, and I loved how, I guess loved, but also hated how relatable all of the office things were that he was experiencing. I was triggered. Yeah, like when the supervisor <laughs> was yelling at him um, and saying like, you know, this is to need to figure it out themselves and then yell at them for making a decision on their own, like very contradictory directions from their supervisor. I'm like... We've all been there. If you work in the corporate world, you've probably dealt with somebody like that. But yeah, I loved everything about this first episode. It was so fun and it sucked me right into the show. But I, I do really quickly want to go back to how I felt about the second half. It was this wow factor, um, this, uh, this artistic take on the way that the initial part of the story was presented. I felt like that went away pretty quickly, especially when we got to the, the second half of the show. And I think that's why maybe I was a little less impressed with the second half. Like if we had gotten what we got in episode one through the whole thing, I think it would have been a, a different story. Well, what do you mean exactly by that? Because I think episode one, I, I just have to say it's, it's a fantastic first episode. And you, you praise like the letterbox format of the show uh, kind of opening up because Akira's depressive state um, has this sort of like staticky and black and white filter until the zombie apocalypse happens and that's where you would expect like the dread and the destruction to come in but instead the widescreen format goes away and Akira's world starts to blossom with color. I just love that sort of opening up of his perspective to this newfound sense of freedom. And I just kind of love that visual punch of, of that scene. But I guess what I was getting at was like, that's all kind of tied into his corporate office job and how crummy he feels about it. Um, are you saying like those sort of visual spectacles go away towards the end? Because it's kind of resolved with the episode where he confronts his boss again. I guess you kind of get a little bit of that with Higurashi. So are you saying like that kind of that visual aesthetic waned by the end? Yeah, and it has nothing to do with a specific part of the story. Like, yeah, a lot of that in episode one is, like you said, related to Akira's little arc that he goes through from basically depression to happiness. 
but it's the the way that they tell the story the transitions um the the use of color um in some of the later episodes there's some really good like music cues that happen or camera angles or the way they build intensity i just felt like a lot of that creativity in the storytelling wasn't as apparent in the latter half like it just kind of felt like standard storytelling style like you know abc happens and then resolution like we get a, a little bit of that again with higurashi's story um with the way that like he kind of transitions from his flashbacks to what's happening in present day um and uh the way they kind of like keep us on the edge of our seats through the storytelling um when like you know we're not sure if Akira's dead or what's gonna happen to his dad and all that stuff but it's more about just like the visual creativity in the way mm -hmm. that everything is portrayed that I felt was really strong in the first several episodes but then maybe I just wasn't paying enough attention I just thought that it, it wasn't as apparent as we got further along okay I can I can kind of see that I think I was just too preoccupied with how blown away I was by bug films is quality of animation every episode that I probably just glossed over that aspect of it where like you said things about how things like the visuals pop out start to wane a little bit as the series goes on but I think once I heard that you know Akira's main concern is that the zombie horde is going to make him late for work I think that's where I realized you know things <laughs> the things we would expect about how someone reacts in the zombie apocalypse are going to be flipped on its head when it comes to these characters and with the great humor and comedy that is pervasive and prevalent throughout the show and is established from the get-go in this first episode um, again that contributes to why I think it's just a great pilot episode I do have one piece of trivia here related to the company where Akira works. It's actually a parody of Studio OLM, which is well known for helming the Pokemon series um, in anime form. Um, Bugs, Bug Films had actually split off from Studio OLM. So I think this was kind of like a jab at their former employer. Uh, I can share, or we can share a photo of a comparison shot of Akira's company with Studio OLM's office building um, on the Discord, which is a plug for our Discord if you're not a member. The link to that is in the description. And it's pretty obvious that the anime has taken a one-for-one one shot of that office building, again, as, as a, a nice... I guess, quote-unquote, homage to their former employer. A nice homage or, or <laughs> like, uh, you know, a critical nice, homage? Nice in the ironic sense. And we'll also share a tweet uh, from Twitter user, or I guess X user, Kavin, um, that shows Akira's employee badge. The, the company is called ZLM, and the logo very closely resembles the logo for OLM. So they just tried to take as many digs as they could <laughs> at OLM, um, probably to, I don't know, like critique their sort of intense work culture. Although again, it's ironic because Bug Films had gone on hiatus every now and then with its Psalm 100 run, 
And you got to think like, were those due to pressured production delays as well? In episode two, Bucket List of the Dead, Akira Akira decides to crack a cold one in these chaotic of times and runs into a female parkour enthusiast at the konbini to get his five-finger drunken discount. After Running Girl calculatedly saves him from Truck-kun, Akira GTA jacks a motorbike to get home and drops some goods off from his grocery run to his neighbors, who calculatedly have turned into zombies. This morbidly motivates him to update his zombie bucket list, whilst the parkour enthusiast is left to wonder if you really can put the fun back in dysfunctional society. So yeah, Akira gets a dose of reality when that couple that he met not that long ago is dead by the time he gets back. Um, I think that does like instill in him that there is a level of seriousness to the situation, but he takes it more as like, it's me needing to be serious about enjoying the remainder of my life. And I like that. It's not him like changing his tune and saying, no, I, I can't have fun. I got to find ways to survive. It's him thinking, okay, I, I re- if I really want to do this, if I really want to, to have this bucket list um, and do the things that I want to do with the short time I may have left, I got to be serious about that. So it, it's him staying true to who he really is. I love how trivial his view is made to be in the beginning where you know that apartment couple is like fearing for their lives and then they see akira was it like climbing down that pipe and he's just like hey i'll go pick up groceries for you guys if you want and they're just so dumbfounded (laughs) um again that little bit of comedy in this crazy chaotic situation where like you said, at least Akira gets the reality check later that, you know, time is time is limited for him. Um, but yeah, get I just love how it's establishing this free spirited nature of Akira where it's not like he's not taking the apocalypse seriously, but you know, he realizes he has to do what he can to make it as enjoyable of an experience as it can be. Yeah, and that plays right into um, his encounter with Shizuka, where she thinks he's dumb for risking his life for non-essentials like beer. But then seeing how he can remain so positive in this state of emergency kind of forces her to rethink her own mentality about it. Um, And then she decides, I think, to take that, that mochi that she's really interested in. And I kind of like the, um, the juxtaposition between Shizuka and Akira because she's very calculated, serious, and and ironically has the opposite list that he has where it's 100 ways to avoid becoming a zombie or 100 ways to survive. Maybe not the opposite list, but a more serious list. And yeah, I think the two of them, I, I do enjoy their dynamic because they have vastly different ways of approaching what they're going through. Um, but I think both are totally valid. And I actually think that the dynamic between not dynamic but the differences between Shizuka and Akira are somewhat parallel to you and me because I feel (laughs) like I'm kind of like Shizuka like I'm always safety focused all the time even with like the smallest things I just want to make sure no one gets hurt I want everyone to be healthy and safe Um, and I always take a very like analytical and critical approach to things I'm very type A and then Carl is definitely type B. He's more go with the flow, um, enjoys just kind of making, not making light of a situation, but just, you know, 
never taking anything too seriously like I do. <laughs> Life's as extreme as you want to make it. <laughs> so yeah, I feel like you are you you have some parallels to Akira and I have some parallels to Shizuka. I can relate to the way Shizuka views how to handle the state of emergency, you know, being very uh safe about it. <laughs> And I'll be the one who goes to the grocery store just to pick up some free beers. <laughs> <laughs> In episode three, Best Friend of the Dead, after unsuccessfully trying to become a beard papa, Akira Akira decides that now is the best time to reconnect with his long-lost college buddy, Ken Chokondistik, who is currently fighting for his life inside an Oran High School virus host club. Akira inadvertently saves the club and his colleague from Imminent Doom, and inspires Kencho to pursue his dreams of becoming a comedian because we could all use some butt-naked comedy in these trying times. Kencho on these nuts. Choke on these nuts. Can choke on this dick. Can choke on these nuts. <laughs> um, I love him. I love Ken Choke on these nuts. He's my favorite character. Um, I just think he's he's so funny and so almost at times more carefree than Akira is. And when he jumped across the building and scraped his balls on the, wow. on like the edge of the building, I actually laughed out loud. I thought it was so good. I, I just I think for me, I love toilet humor and like stupid humor and running around butt naked and like flashing your ass and your balls to like everybody. That's the kind of shit I find very amusing. So I, I'm right there with you, Kencho. Not that I'm running around showing my ass to anybody, but, you know, I enjoy what he's doing here. And again, you see more of Akira having this sort of naive personality when it comes to the apocalypse because he wades through this almost like intense horde of zombies that are fighting the host club. And he sees Kencho and he just apologizes for not well, having, like, having the time to catch up with him. Although, you know, that, that really speaks deeply to Kencho and that, kind of puts him on his own mission to go out there and, and live life. Although I would say Kencho is kind of the more extreme, like the the more goofy extreme of Akira, though I, I would say they're two birds <laughs> of the same feather. Um, quick piece of trivia here is that the host for what is called club, the host club, Club Showtime, is voiced by Mamoru Miyano. Of course he would be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, nice nice cameo from a very highly revered voice actor. In episode four, Flight Attendant of the Dead, Akira Akira and Kenchokandistik take advantage of this devastatingly dire situation by shopping for an Ultra 4K TV at the local department store, where they end up whining and dining with three flight attendants and a sickly old man who, surprise, surprise, turns out to be an undead liability. Akira has a heart-to-heart -heart with one of the flight attendants that ultimately goes nowhere when she joins the cast of The Walking Dead, but at least he heeds her advice of not letting your childhood dreams be childhood dreams. And at least he got his TV. Okay, so first off, the zombie farting nonstop. Again, very much my kind of humor. I really enjoyed that. But I thought this was a very, very good episode. 
Um, first off, the action sequences were so impressive. And this goes back to how I felt the first half was better in the way that they approached some of like the the art, the creativity, like the camera angles, building intensity, the cleanest fuck animation. Of course, the, the colors of the blood really kind of amplify things. And the way that they utilized the music cues, I thought it was just like really impressive with the motorcycle scene and then like that scene where they have to avoid the zombies. I really, really like that a lot. Okay, so I think here in my notes is where I see some of the tropes of zombie apocalypse shows or movies um, kind of being flipped on their head where we talked about this earlier. Electricity and food just seem to be in abundant supply in this apocalypse, which some people might think is unrealistic, but I think it, it, it makes sense because it's only like the opening days of this breakout. Uh, but also zombies... Breakout outbreak? Outbreak. <laughs> <laughs> um, and also zombies still know how to drive, apparently. Right? Because that, that's what happened um, at some point in this in this episode. Yeah, during the motorcycle scene. Maybe it's just muscle memory? Yeah. I guess if zombies know how to walk aimlessly, they must know how to still drive. I do um, also want to call out the serious, like parts of this episode and it again shows that the show while it is a comedy still does have those moments of drama those moments of like seriousness but they don't stick around too long before there's more comedy it never takes itself too seriously so in this case um it's about like the flight attendant and akito is crying about her being killed and she sacrificed herself for him and then um kensho who was like off fighting the zombie still managed to grab a widescreen tv for him like that obviously kind of breaks some of the tension that was built up with um, the the crying and whatnot, but it does it in a way that doesn't feel off-putting. It, it's like, it, it's appropriate for what the show is trying to do. Yeah, I was going to say, like, they got over these flight attendants real quick, like once they found the TV. But I think the objective of this episode, at least um, on the flight attendant's end, was to plant the idea for Akira to remember what his childhood dream was. Because I think that's that's kind of the setup for this next episode. So it's nothing like overly profound. Like it's stuff that we already know Akira like is thinking about when it comes to his newfound independence. But yeah, it's just funny how like Akira realizes these things with these these normal characters who you would expect in a regular sort of zombie show that get killed off, learning lessons from them. Yeah, like the, the neighbors before this and with these flight attendants and then having his own spin on it in, in a unique and quirky way. In episode five, Hero of the Dead, Akira Akira decides to visit the Akirarium to realize his childhood dream of being a B-level Marvel hero. Running Girl also happens to be there on a field trip gone awry, Captain Akira America comes to their rescue before the pair plus Ken Chokandistik team up to prevent the Meg from becoming a zombie movie franchise. Running Girl calculates that hanging out with Akira might not be ideal, but introduces herself as Shizuka before parting ways with him and Kencho, who set their sights on Gunma to continue their tour de farce. This whole episode was nonsensical um the the shark part was was wild and, and crazy but i think the key takeaway here is this theme of like what is a hero and you can see both akira um 
and Shizuka are trying to understand that and trying to define a hero. But Shizuka is trying to understand like why he wants to be a hero at all for people that he barely knows, especially at a time like this where it's every man for himself. Um, it's all about survival and it's about, you know, doing what you need to do to to make sure that you're you're safe and everything. So um, it's a, it's another it shows us how Akira has this almost indirect or unintentional effect on other people because he's one of the very few basically him and Kenshin Kenshin <laughs> Kencho <laughs> are some of the very few who can see um I guess the silver lining in this zombie apocalypse Wait, so why does he want to be a hero I don't know <laughs> I don't think he knows actually I think it's just because he want he like he had a childhood dream yeah <laughs> to be a superhero so yeah and I guess in a way that also it makes it kind of trivialize the situation, but he rescues everyone in the end, so I guess that's what matters. So they can all live live out their own lives. But yeah, the that zombie shark, that whole scene was so stressful to watch. And then they use electricity to confuse the shark, and then he has this move, crackle thunder punch. A lot of this just felt like watching an out of context episode of My Hero Academia or something. And I think this episode almost comes with its own version of You Say Run, one of the main themes for My Hero. And then Kencho debuts a new look here where he has blonde hair. And he's All Might. Yeah, kind of like a <laughs> casual All Might cosplay. Or what do you, what we call it? Everyday All Might. Yeah. Like those kind of cosplays. In episode six, RV of the Dead. Akira Akira and Kenchokande's dick take advantage of the five-finger discounts across zombie-stricken Japan to find an RV for their trip and end up running into Running Girl again, who hesitantly agrees to fill out their anime trio. But the tour de farce is cut short when an involuntary pit stop puts Akira Akira back in the grubby hands of his former employer-slash-oppressor, who forces his group and some brainless zombies into cheap labor as part of his discount umbrella corp. This episode just hits too close to home. Like many of us have worked in those super stressful workplaces, those work environments with bosses who are unreasonable and um, seeing how it kind of makes Akira feel to, to see his old boss again is like, ugh. That's how I feel. Like when I run into a, a former boss that I didn't enjoy working with, um, it's like you get a, like a shiver down your spine. Yeah, this episode kind of gave me PTSD of some of my former employers, and you know, I, I just had to feel for Akira, you know, having to deal with this bullshit all over again as he acquiesces to Kosugi because he's had such an enjoyable experience so far but now he feels like he's being pigeonholed back into this very strenuous work culture that just happened to be born again from this apocalypse and it kind of shows like um in a very not maybe not subtle way but it's not like super in your face how like how abusive behavior and manipulative behavior can put someone in a chokehold essentially because you think that with this freedom Akira would be able to say no fuck you like piss off I'm not doing this anymore mm -hmm. you were shitty to work for but he falls right back in line because of what he had to endure and the way that it kind of triggers him in that that sense to 
to you know kind of it like mentally puts him back to where he was even though he's not physically there anymore yeah it's kind of odd because i right now i'm finishing up my new boss is goofy which came out in fall the fall season and it deals with the exact same thing of like dealing with work trauma and power harassment is i think what they call it um when faced with your boss and yeah it's to a a lesser impact here than in that other show but man do i feel it and again this is where we had originally stopped uh, once we found out about the hiatus but once we got back in i was so glad to see akira come out or like snap out of this element um another fun piece of trivia here since we mentioned all might with the last episode is that the oppressive boss kosugi is voiced by kenta miyake very well known as the voice of all might in episode seven truck stop of the dead seeing akira turn into akina makes shizuka realize she's got some stuff to unpack too but gains the courage to snap him out of his zombie state by putting his next goal on his bucket list. Be a boss bitch to your bitch of a boss. Of course, since this is a zombie-based show, all hell breaks loose in Discount Umbrella Corp, giving Akira's crew the chance to make a somewhat graceful exit and inspire the rest of the company to turn in their red blood-stained pink slips. Shizuka sees a lot of herself in what Akira is going through with his, with his old boss. Um, we get those flashbacks about her living a life of being told what to do by her dad. And, uh, of course, the sad part with, with the dog. Always with the dog. It's like yeah, JoJo it, fans have to deal with that all the time. <laughs> why is it always a dog? I never hear sad stories with cats. Yeah. It's always dogs. Well, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but then she's able to set Akira free by essentially saying to him what she wanted to tell herself for years. And this is where, uh, what she she tells him is like, stop doing what others say you need to do and start doing what you want to do, just like his bucket list, which is a list of things he wants to do. Um, But I think it's, it's not only freeing for Akira, it's also freeing for her. Because this is where, after this episode, I feel like we see a very big shift in her personality. She's still cold she's still a sunday but she does have a lot of moments of comedy and where she can kind of let loose and start to enjoy things more versus just always looking at the practical side of them i would say this episode you know it reinforces everything about you know living (laughs) living your best life and and breaking free but i think akira and shizuka gain a real sense of closure with breaking ties from this camp that Kosugi is running. Um, and I, I love that, you know, after all hell breaks loose, that Akira still manages to rescue Kosugi despite all the shit that this boss has done to him out of his own free will of compassion, showing that, you know, Akira isn't leaving his boss and even though like the goal was to tell off your boss Akira wasn't leaving just because he wanted to be an asshole back to Kosugi he was leaving because he knows that there's a better life form out there but that won't conflict with his ideals of still being a good person despite his free-spirited mindset 
In episode 8, Sushi and Hot Springs of the Dead, the anime trio soon becomes an anime quartet with the addition of Frau Beatrix, the German Japanophile, as they help her navigate a crowd of ungrateful dead to dine at the world's last sushi restaurant. They continue their tour de farce at a hot spring that has gotten with the times by employing some undead laborers, but not even a zombie virus can get in the way of something else much more infectious. Love. I was wondering the whole time how Akira was going to eat at a high-end sushi place, and here you go. <laughs> they they answered how that. How convenient. <laughs> but yeah, we get uh, introduced to Beatrix. Um, she's, like you said, a Japanophile or um, a weeb, because I imagine that on some level she probably likes anime as well. But she's a good fighter, so that's good. She has a lot to offer to the group. And yeah, I mean, I like her. I know that they the Japanese voice actress seems to be... Um, doing a sort of like foreigner accent when speaking Japanese, but it's not as heavy or as like obnoxious as other foreigner characters in anime. So I think that this voice actress has kind of struck a nice balance of still representing the fact that this is a foreigner without making them sound really foreign. Yeah, it made me wonder if they had tried to make an effort to find a foreign voice actor for Beatrix, kind of like the forget the character in Akiba Maid War who was from Russia and was actually voiced by a Russian VA who was fluent in Japanese um but no like like you said the VA for Beatrix who is Minami Takahashi still does a great job of sounding like a a, a gaijin right that's the term for for foreigner in Japanese yeah yeah gaijin or like I said japanophile um I think it was pretty apparent that there was something blossoming between Akira and Shizuka, so that kind of had to be uh, shoved in, in in all the madness, you know, like that, that trope of romance. Shoved in, trope. <laughs> I shipped them, so I was really excited to see this. I think, um, I, th- I don't think it was like shoved in. I think that, you know, Akira has his eye on Shizuka, not his eye on Shizuka, but, you know, she, she catches his eye for sure, but he's too nice of a guy to lay it on thick the way Kensho might. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I he just kind of casually mentions the whole idea of going on a date, and then Chizuka rejects that and says, like, it's pointless and kind of makes love seem more transactional. But later on, she admits that she's kind of reacting in her old way because love is simply something she doesn't know much about but is open to it and i mean she didn't have a very loving childhood so not super surprised about that yeah, i guess akira i thought akira was attached to that office crush he had earlier in... that's more of like the first love okay yeah that's true <laughs> and then you know um the, the flight attendant was like a fleeting love that and... was like a fling but he didn't yeah get it. <laughs> and so i guess shizuka could be his true love Although <laughs> I love her her kind of cynical view or cynical view on love at first, where she says, love is an investment with poor cost performance. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, that's not the case for everyone. And I think, like you said, she realizes that down the road. Um, one other thing that I loved about this episode is, again, Beatrix obviously is the center of it. And because of her, this is such a great comedically fast-paced episode. Um, it, it didn't feel like she was an, another shoe-in character that they wanted to introduce. 
Like she becomes one of the gang very quickly. And I just love the shots of her where she has this extensive knowledge of Japan, but then her, her voice starts to get more high pitched and kind of to the tune of a sped up tape. It was a running gag that, you know, came up a couple times in this episode, but it just never got old for me. In episode nine, Treehouse of the Dead, as the gaggle of go-getters gear up to gang up on Gunma, a tunnel of torn-apart travelers leads them on a detour to help an old geezer named Rilak Kumano build a treehouse of not-horror as a fulfillment of his late son's dream. They eventually make their way to Akira's home village, where he reunites with mom Kira and dad Kira, who hides quite a bloody secret from his prodigal son. But Akira Akira also unknowingly reunites with a shithead of a shut-in, who is about to pummel some undead funnel from the tunnel. Similar to the previous episode, the treehouse bucket list item was short and sweet, but had important meaning for Akira because he learned this idea of taking time to tune into the people around him, and then he'll hear the whole world or just be more aware of people in general. And I think that leads into how he he learns, realizes the parent-child relationship is like really, really key, really, really important, and then feels guilty for not doing much for his parents over the last couple of years. So then that leads to him wanting to make it up to them because he's so thankful that they're alive and, and doing okay. So I like that they kept the treehouse part like simple. They, they still met the goal, but it gave us something to take away from it versus just some shit happening that didn't have a, a larger impact. Yeah, especially because Kumano does come back <laughs> at the end of this season to rescue everyone in the village. I do want to comment on that really quick, and that's because we're leading into this um, final like three-parter arc. I felt like everything from the point that they got to Akita's village to the end of the season was very predictable, very cliche, um, and very convenient. And one of the biggest things was like, the treehouse guy just so happened to be coming back when they needed him um, to build the suspension bridge and was able to toss it across this canyon over to them. Um, or, uh, you know, oh my gosh, surprise, surprise, there's some, you know, unknown people in the village who hate the world, they're misanthrope, and they just want to, you know, fuck shit up. And it's, you know, it's gonna put everyone at risk. And like, everyone's so nice that, you know, you don't want them to be hurt. And oh my gosh, like, Akita's dad is sick, but, um, you know, he doesn't know that. Obviously, that's not the case at the end of the story or at the end of the season. But like, there's all these things that just felt very predictable. Like, even those those bad guys, the antagonists, I immediately could kind of gauge, like, what their deal was once I learned what their origin stories were. I was like, yeah, I don't know. I just, it, it seemed very, it seemed like. Zombie movie. Like, yeah, <laughs> like, it just seemed like typical anime and zombie movie stuff. Um, and I just, I kind of wanted there to be more uniqueness to all of it because Zom 100 is such a unique take on a zombie story. Like, I don't just, everything just happened to fall in line so fucking conveniently for every, every little conflict that, that came up in this last arc. Yeah. I, I guess the, the writers or creators, um, kind of fell back on those reliable tropes even though they have unique spins on them. But I guess for me, it didn't really detract from my enjoyment of the series. I think more so because Zom 100, it feels like like with Akira and the apocalypse, it doesn't take itself too seriously. Uh, so 
me seeing these kind of tried and true tropes come up again. Um, it, yeah, I, I guess it could have done more than that, but for what it was, I was okay with it. Um, what I what spoke a lot to me in this episode was Akira's story with his parents, or more specifically with his dad. You know, I, I love how it, it leads you into thinking that his village is ravaged already by the destruction of the zombie pandemic, but it cuts to the townsfolk all just drinking at one of their places, and then Akira finds his parents. So it's a resolution that, you know, they didn't have to work to journey all the way to Gunma for the entirety of the season. They reach this point, and then it starts this final arc. But I don't know, like Akira's scenes with his dad, it just reminds me of maybe it's because, you know, the, the sort of filial piety culture that we have um, in in Asian culture, but you know, w- trying to do whatever we can for our parents who have provided f- for us so much, um, but then they come back to us like Akira's dad, uh, kind of punches him back to reality and just returns to working in the field while telling Akira to find his dream and find the biggest one that you can. It's kind of like that's exactly how our parents would act. But, you know, Akira is just, he wants to make sure that he's living up to his, not his parents' expectations, but, you know, giving back to them for what they have let him become at this point in time. Yeah, I agree. I think that's my favorite part of this this final arc of the season. And I, I talked a lot about how the beginning of the show was very relatable with the workplace uh, you know, fatigues and, and issues and whatnot. The other part that's super relatable is the way that Akira feels towards his parents, like feeling like he's not done enough for them because of all that they've given to him. Um, I definitely have experienced that too. Like my my parents are amazing and they've worked so hard to give um, us everything we could ever dream of and give us all the opportunities we could ever ask for. And I, there are times where I'm like, have I done enough for them? Like, have I made them proud? Have I, um, you know, do they know how much I appreciate them and love them? So kind of seeing Akira feel those same ways. I'm like, I, I know exactly the feeling that he's experiencing. But I guess we don't exactly know the feelings that Higurashi is experiencing as he is kind of like the foil to Akira here, where he has Akira's mindset about you know, doing whatever you want, but it's more twisted and uh, anarchical. And it's kind of summed up with him seeing it as like, it's summer break every day. And I know we'll talk about uh, Higarashi more with these final three episodes. Um, but yeah, here, I, I, this is where I was kind of like, I got a little bit of the cliche sort of foil to Akira. Although I think the story kind of plays out in a way that I wasn't expecting. In episode 10, Hometown of the Dead 1. Of course, we have to see a montage of the peace and tranquility of Akira's home village and Dad Kira's desire to see a galaxy far, far away to be lured into a false sense of security before Higo Ratchet unleashes hell on Earth on the townsfolk. With the surrounding fence in a state of electric boogaloo and a zombie horde closing in, Akira Akira and his group must do the only thing that can be done in this situation. Tatakai. Well, we all know 
where Akira gets his dreamer personality from. His dad has dreams and always told Akira to chase his biggest dream. So even though his dad is more of like a, a serious type of guy, I think he instilled some really good values in Akira that helped Akira get to this mindset that he has now, which is like, yeah, everything's going to shit, but I'm going to try to be as happy and um, fulfilled as possible. But then we find out that possibly his dad is dying, and I'm like, uh-oh, here we go, cliches. Yeah, I guess it, it it's kind of ironic. Or maybe not, that's not the right term, but it's coincidental that his dad wanted to be an astronaut, but then instills this idea in Akira of... You know the sky being the limit for for your dreams uh so yeah i didn't even think about like with his dad planting that idea in akira that his dad is like he's going beyond what his dad wanted to do and i know we get more information or like that that true intro- introduction to higurashi um and like that's fine and all. I just kind of see him as like the alternate version of Akira if Akira wasn't a happy person. If Akira didn't have the happy upbringing that he had. Like he like mm. basically Ak- there's not much stopping Akira from having become Higurashi. And I think that's the point of Higurashi is to show like it's all about the choices you make and the way that you approach your life because when we I, I know I'm jumping ahead but when we get to uh, Higurashi's resolution he says he hates Akira because he was so happy and had everything, but Akira extended his hand to invite him into the life- lifestyle he wanted, but Higurashi made the choice to reject that, and therefore mm-hmm. it led him down this path that is the complete opposite of Akira's. Um, so yeah, I like that that um, dynamic there and how without kind of spoon-feeding it or just saying it outright to the audience, it shows like one choice can change your life. Yeah, because I would say that like... Higurashi's feelings like they feel valid like I'm sure there are people out there who who kind of share his ideologies but I think part of it is that maybe not about like the killing parts no no right <laughs> right but like just having this sort of cynical <laughs> look on life uh but you know there are oppo- there may be opportunities where you are faced with a choice that can kind of get you out of this funk and it's all about how you decide to go about it uh but yeah i guess higurashi here is a very like selfish in his thinking whereas akira starts to embrace what kumano had kind of imparted on him in the forest is that sort of mindfulness of the world being respectful of other people's freedoms um so that you're not infringing upon theirs like higurashi is in episode 11, Hometown of the Dead 2, as the rest of his group kicks zombie carcass and defeat their respective mini-bosses, whose backstories are just about as meaningful as a vegetable is to a zombie, Akira Akira moves to protect mom and dad Kira from Higo Ratchet. But the sins of the son are visited upon the father when the shithead shut-in forces Akira to give up on his dream and die. So it's fine. They gave all the antagonists like short backstories. It did feel more shallow than like the episode with the flight attendant. For some reason, I was more invested in the flight attendant episode characters than I was about these antagonists. Probably because it was just rapid fire. Yeah. Like with it, these could have been their own 
like episode arcs with each side character. Yeah, which I wouldn't have wanted though. I'm fine right. like that we didn't have that. I think the the idea here is that it's showing us that every because we're talking about choices, right? Um, every choice isn't completely right or isn't valid because all of these antagonists made choices that they thought was the right choice or the the correct choice or the righteous choice um only to find out through their battles with the respective protagonists that their mindsets were not correct that the way that they thought that they were behaving was not the way that one should behave to live a happy and respectful life um so yeah, I, I did appreciate that part of it but then again it's like i just i don't care enough about the antagonists to like feel like i need that whole lesson does that make sense yeah I feel like they were there just for Kencho, Shizuka, and Beatrix for them to have something to do during this whole evacuation plan. Yeah. They were plot devices, essentially. Yeah. Although I, I guess, you know, Kencho's ended in spectacular fashion where it, it ties in with, the, what was it called? Like a, a cesspit? Yeah. yeah. Oh my God, I love it. It's so <laughs> funny. Like, he's my favorite. I love that. He always finds a reason to get naked. And this time he did it to dive headfirst into shit, like literally. And then when he came back out, they blurred like everything yeah. except his like facial features. Yeah, they not only blurred his dick with like the squiggly line, but they they like blurred his whole entire body because it was just so gross. That was great. Um, but at the end of this episode, and something that I mentioned to Carl after the episode aired, um, and this goes back to things just happening conveniently or just because. Um, the end of the episode, Higurashi shows up randomly, or maybe not randomly, but suddenly with the tractor and grabs um, uh, Akira's dad and pulls him onto like the scoop part or whatever. I have so many questions. First of all, who drove the tractor there if he's standing on the scoop? <laughs> because the fat guy isn't in the driver's seat anymore. And then it's like, if it was Higurashi, how did no one fucking hear the tractor coming? And how did none of the zombies go up to the tractor like immediately? Because it's probably so fucking loud and obnoxious. Selective hearing. Yeah. And it's just like, <laughs> uh, like I would have, how did you not see the goddamn tractor, Akira's dad, and like walk away from it? I just, it seemed so ridiculous. And like, it just, they threw that in there without any explanation of how it came to be. And it just annoyed me. I had to get that off my chest. Yeah, I mean, it's there to just drum up the drama of the moment. Although I thought, you know, this kind of works out perfectly because if uh, Akira's dad were to turn any second, he could just bite Higurashi and then that's the end of it. Um, but, yeah, that's not how it plays out in the final episode. And speaking of which, in episode 12, Hometown of the Dead 3, Hey, look, a Higo Ratchet backstory. But anyways, Akira Akira uses the magic of movie makeup to table the turns on his once-bitten, twice-shy foil and promises to see him someday at the Deadpool. But um, tss. Akira's group just barely manages to lead the townsfolk out of Undead Dodge until they stand between a rock and a hard place, bridged ever so fortuitously by Rilakumano of the Valley of the Wind. As they return to the village in Sim's build mode, Akira Akira makes amends with his ailing father, who merely has a case of the butt nuggets, and he resolves to take his group back to Zombieland Japan to continue their tour de farce and cross things off their bucket list of the dead. Let's just hope 
they don't come across a man in a black leather jacket with a fondness for baseball bats wrapped in barbed wire. So it's a clean ending to the season. Um, and that's that's fine. Uh, I do admit, though, that I was getting choked up about Akita's dad possibly dying. Yeah. And then I got gotten because it was just hemorrhoids. So that was a very unexpected plot twist. So that, I, I, did, I did enjoy that. But that doesn't explain because I think it shows a bite mark. No, it was Wasn't blood. It? He probably oh. touched his ass or something and then like had blood. <laughs> okay, because <laughs> okay. I thought... You know, when we saw like that telling sign that oh something's wrong with his dad, that it was a bite mark. But yeah, it's just it's just hemorrhoids. Yeah. Um, but like as I was saying, like it's a clean end to the season. Everything worked out perfectly, and like okay, half of me is okay with that because I understand this is more of a comedy. But the other half of me is kind of annoyed because it was all just too easy. I I say this from time to time on this podcast. If you can simply remove something from the story, then it, it just kind of cheapens the importance of it. We are at the end of all of this. The The town is presumably going to be rebuilt and they'll just go back to the, the way they were. So we're right back at square one. So what you're telling me is everything that happened to this town really didn't have any consequence because the town's fine. Everyone survived. Well, not everyone. Um, and uh, yeah, the town's just going to be rebuilt and we're totally good. Bridge is fixed. Uh, Akira's dad is fine. Um, he's going to hang out with his parents next time he's in town. Um, he can go about his, his journey and, you know, like his parents will just be there. Like, it just seems like there was no real lasting consequence. You can argue that like, okay, Kensho fulfilled his bucket list item and um, Akira was able to, you know, do something to help his, to repay his parents. But there could have been other ways that those things happened that didn't involve this very roundabout, like, conflict with these random antagonists that came and went very quickly so that's kind of like why i keep saying this last arc was just too convenient too easy too cliche but wouldn't you say it subverts expectations no because i expected (laughs) it i was like they're just gonna find a resolution to every little problem and like i said the, the town will just go back to normal it'll be like nothing even happened which is kind of bothersome but again it's a comedy fine it's not meant to have a lot of depth yeah i was gonna say this is where it kind of the show kind of flips the zombie tropes on its head because i i would say like you'd expect the dad to die and you know akira go fulfill or like live out his legacy or whatever i mean that's still the case even though the dad's alive um you know the town going back to the way it was or close to the way it was uh, I, it reminds me of the prison in The Walking Dead. <laughs> Spoilers for that. Like Rick eventually has to abandon the prison, uh, but here it's like no, it, it's fine. Like you don't always have to abandon settlements in an, a zombie apocalypse if you can regain control of it. So I guess for me personally, I was okay with all this. Again, going back to how like Zom One Hundred is a show that doesn't seem to like take itself too seriously. Um, it, it falls into these tropes and or I, I guess these these expectations, but for me it's it's not it's not too big of a deal, I guess. Did want to call out another line um, earlier from Akira's dad where he says you can give back to us even with your even if we're gone. Like that line just hits so hard, going back to the whole like trying to do every like trying to give back to your your parents after everything they've given to you. Um, 
it's a line that resonates with me. But I think for Akira, you know, it's it's a a noble sort of command or goal that's imparted onto him by his dad, where he knows like if he can live. <laughs> He can live his best life in the zombie apocalypse and do what he can to help others. Uh, I think that'll be enough for his dad to know that he can be proud of his son, even in such a destructive situation. And I think that's even clear with how Akira reaches out to Higarashi um, in, in his final moments and, and lets him know that even though this is how he had turned out, like his ideologies had turned out, um, he understands where he's coming from. And I love how there's a resolution to a key scene that happens between Higarashi and Akira in their college days where we see Akira actually reaching out to him and it's Higurashi who denies him. But um, now in the afterlife, Higurashi, I guess, has something to look forward to. Although that get ready with me segment where Akira was prepping to become a fake zombie it just makes me think, like, how do they get that all together so quickly? It's all too easy, all too convenient. <laughs> you just happen to have a makeup artist and a hairstylist, and these women who are cowering in fear were able to subdue three zombies perfectly. Like, again, I get it. It's a comedy. I know I shouldn't take it too seriously, but I don't know. There was just, this is like another thing to, to add to my list. I was more so like, is Higurashi just waiting there? to see what Akira's about to decide. And so the ending of this episode, it feels like like the, the, the Akira plans to head north because he says that's where all good travelers venture. Uh, and, you know, the group goes sightseeing across Japan, set to the tune of the OP, and it's interspersed with some of the other survivors they've encountered in their journey. Don't you feel like this is similar to the ending of The Promised Neverland and how it's like a slideshow of things? Kind of. I don't know if maybe the manga shows more of the trip, but I feel like it's just kind of like a montage. Like, here's how we're getting to Hokkaido. And then once they get to Hokkaido, that's when like the another the next arc of the story will pick up. Like, we may not need to see any of the, the trip. We just need to have like confirmation that shit happened. Okay. Yeah, and that's what I hope for, because I know the manga for Zom 100 is still ongoing, and I'd love to see a, a second season of this, but I don't think there's been an official announcement. And with the several production delays and the hiatus, I don't know if that garners any more high hopes for a second season being greenlit, but I guess... Just like Akira's dad, one can dream. <laughs> and that leads us into our final thoughts for ZOM 100, Bucket List of the Dead. So how many points of the dead out of 10 would you give this series? I would give it an 8 out of 10. I think it's um, a very impressive show. 
I think that it starts off, as I mentioned, super, super strong. And even though the second half may not have been as exciting or as creative or um, well-crafted as the first half, I still think that the second half is very solid. And it completes a lot of the things that we need We need it to. It completes the bucket list items. It introduces us to Beatrix. Um, it introduces us to Akira's parents and sets a goal in motion for the next arc of the story. Um, so I don't think that it's it detracts too much from my overall enjoyment, but it is something that's still worth considering. Uh, I really love how this is a fresh take on the zombie genre that we have not seen much of in the anime world. And I think that everything just came together really well, despite all of the production issues that happened along the way. It's just one of those shows that turned out to be very, very good for a story that was super hyped and highly praised. And yeah, I don't think, kind of like how the show doesn't take itself too seriously, um, I don't think we need to be too analytical of like what's actually going on here, but it does have some very important uh, like important and valuable lessons that anyone could take away, which is no matter how difficult a situation can be, there's always going to be that silver lining that you should kind of hold on to and use that as a way to get through that difficulty. Um, so yeah, I really, I really love it. I love the messaging. I love the animation. I love the characters, the colors. I mean, every aspect of it I love, even if there were parts, like I mentioned, that I felt were too cliche or what have you. I still think that as a whole, um, it is a really, really good show. What about you? I would give Zom 100, eight and a half out of 10. As much as the intent of this series was to try and differentiate itself from the oversaturated zombie apocalypse genre, it only does this to a point. But for me, that's okay because it's still a really solid action comedy that had me smiling almost every episode. The eclectic group ensemble led by the lovably tenacious Akira just has a great dynamic with each character in the group and each character and episode plotline reinforces a very important outlook on life that you wouldn't expect from such a dire situation like a zombie apocalypse. An outlook where you should learn to break free from the monotony of the everyday, to go chase that dream you always dreamed of, to see the ones that you love, to love the ones that you see, and basically to aim always to live your life to the fullest. Even with the unexpectedly stellar animation from Bug Films' first anime outing and solid production, the show's momentum and my excitement levels for it unfortunately waned a bit after its unexpected hiatus, but it still ended on a high enough note with its three-episode exit where I would love to see more of the misadventures of Akira and company as they parkour through the perils of a zombie pandemic. So zombies may be so 2010, but in the case of Zom 100, I would gladly go dancing, dancing again through the blood and the guts. Well, we'll have to see if there's going to be more Zom 100 after this. I don't think there's been a season two announcement. I'd be no. surprised with all of the, the delays and everything. They may need some time to kind of reevaluate and make right. sure they can handle that. But I hope so. I hope that there is a, a season two. I'd love to see more of the story. And I want to see more of Kensho. I love him. I think he's great. Which part of Kensho? All of him, <laughs> including his butthole, apparently, because that's what he's flashing all the time. Oh, yeah, we have to see him. What was it? Slurp 
udon into his butt? You slurp, slurp udon using his butt. Okay. <laughs> I don't that. know how that's gonna happen, <laughs> but I'll 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 check it out. <laughs> yeah, thank you guys as always for tuning in. Hope you enjoyed our review of Zom One Hundred. Um, and let us know if you're eager to see more of this anime. Subscribe to Strictly Anime and Strictly JoJo on your favorite podcast service. Join our Discord to chat with us. Follow us on Instagram at The Strictly Series, on Twitter at Strictly Series, and check out our website, thestrictlyseries.com. If you'd like to support us, head over to patreon.com slash thestrictlyseries. And as always, stay safe, stay healthy, stay weeb.